Well, it should be scary. And if it's not scary, you're probably not going in the right direction. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray and thanks for joining us here today. On A Congruent Life, we explore themes of authenticity, particularly those where people hit some sort of critical junction in their lives and then reinvent and live their lives in a way that's more congruent for them. Today's guest is Owen Marcus, who is the author of a recent book called Grow Up, A Man's Guide to Masculine Emotional Intelligence. Owen shares about learning from dyslexia and Asperger's syndrome and the very real ways that working with men's group has impacted him personally. I'm talking today to Owen Marcus, who is the author of a new book called Grow Up, A Man's Guide to Emotional Intelligence. Owen, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you, Andy. It's great to have you here and uh, just finished plowing through your book, which is quite insightful. Really glad to have an opportunity to chat with you on the show today. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Let's maybe start. Owen, can you just kind of introduce yourself to the audience that might not be familiar with you? Yeah, I um the book's about, you know, obviously men and men's work and uh, men's groups. And I got into that in a particular, you know, direct way about 15, 17 years ago. Uh, but I really got into uh, personal development oh, 35 years ago. And the backstory on that is I grew up with uh, Asperger's syndrome, dyslexia, dyspaxia, which we'll say is dyslexia for the body and ADD and probably a few other things I haven't found yet. And I fortunately didn't have that diagnosis or the, any of those diagnoses as a kid. And I just struggled through elementary school and then found my place in high school by becoming a bit of a juvenile delinquent. That was something I could do well. And it wasn't actually until graduate school that I realized I first had dyslexia when I was taking a um, speed reading course. And I couldn't literally do the cross crawl, which is you know, moving your right leg and your left arm at the same time. And the instructor said, well, no wonder you have a hard time reading because that movement, that cross crawl is the foundation for being able to read. And then as soon as he explained that, all these lights went off and I realized that, well, what I was struggling with was dyslexia. And then, um, like I found since with a lot of dyslexics, we're always uh, working out of a box, if only to survive. And I said to myself, you know, I'm going to find a way to fix this. You know, I'm going to cure this. And I went on a quest to cure it. And I started getting a lot better with it, and particularly a lot of the uh, symptoms of, of, you know, this constant fog and tiredness and, and a speech impediment and other things got a lot better. And then many years ago, uh, I realized I had Asperger's syndrome. And then I said, okay, that explains some of, of the other parts that I really didn't understand. And I said, all right, I'm going to go out and heal that. And I just continue to um, work on healing these conditions and they all continue to get better. But as they got better, I realized there was still something missing in my life. Uh, 
and that missing started showing up more and more. It was more obvious. And what it was, was, was really being a man. And then I realized that I wasn't really much different than other men. And so for the first time in my life, <laughs> I started feeling somewhat normal. Um, you know, how I was not a man was not that unique compared to any other man. And I certainly realized that uh, as a culture, there was really no support or no uh, direction on how to learn how to be a man. And and I didn't have the tools to acquire that learning. And all the ways I healed these other conditions weren't really going to heal not being a man. And it wasn't until I decided to jump into men's groups did I really get any traction there. And it was back in the mid um, 90s when I had a holistic clinic in Phoenix that I started uh, with a men's group and went from one to another and then moved to Northern California and helped start one there and then, then moved to Northern Idaho uh, back in, um, I think it was uh, about 97, that I um, started really pursuing men's groups. And then nine years ago, I stopped what I was doing and completely redesigned what a men's group was, at least it was going to be for me. And I said, hey, I'm going to raise the bar on it and I'm going to design a new protocol and a new way to work with men. And it's going to be the group that I really want to be in. It's going to be scary for me and you know, maybe for other guys, but uh, I'm not going to settle either. We're going to do it or we won't. And I invited 11 guys. They all said yes to my amazement. And we had a men's group and that men's group, the Sandpoint men's group has gone on for now just short of nine years. Uh, we probably have had over 100 men through all the groups. Like right now, we got three groups and then a, and an offshoot of a group. So really four groups that probably have a total of 40 guys in it. Um, back a year and a half ago, a woman came out and did a uh, documentary film on our men's group, which is being released uh, pretty much as we speak now uh, at the end of uh, 2013 that really chronicles four men in the group and the impact that the group has on them and what happens in the group. So there's some very intimate and emotional scenes in the movie that depicts often what happens in our groups. And then from there, you know, I started um, developing trainings to train men to, uh, to lead or start in lead groups. And, and that's pretty much where we're at today. Wow, so there's a, a lot of richness in there. A lot of a lot of places we could go. Uh, let Let's maybe start uh, with a little bit of the early story uh, where you were talking about not really understanding why you were struggling with certain things, and then starting to get these these diagnoses. How did you find maybe the tools and sort of the sense of personal empowerment to be able to address things like Asperger syndrome in your own life? Um, back in was it, uh, yeah, the, 1976, I ended up in Boulder, Colorado, uh, because I couldn't find a place to work or live in, in the ski areas in Colorado. And then I was working uh, as a construction foreman and living in a house, a group of guys. One of the guys had a friend from Florida. He came out to give up his law practice of eight years to learn to be a rolfer. And he argued his case so well that after a couple of years or a couple of weeks of it, I said, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. And after one session of rolfing, I was sold on the process. And I spent four years in Boulder learning rolfing and everything I can or could learn that was related to it. So that got me started and that completely transformed my body and the stress. And, and 
began to improve a lot of the Asperger's and dyslexia before I even knew I had it, but also I realized made some of the symptoms more uh, apparent because I was more aware and more sensitive. And then when I did realize I had first dyslexia, I, I already had a history of healing myself. And I figured, well, if I could transform our body like I did, where in a course of nine months, I grew over three quarters of an inch and lost over 20 pounds of tension from the 10 sessions of rolfing, I figured, well, if I could do that, I could do these other things. And I started um, looking at other out-of-the-box processes. And pretty quickly, I, I ran into a medical kahuna, which is essentially a, a Hawaiian shaman. At the, and at the time, she was living in Phoenix also. And we became best friends, and I became her apprentice for 13 years. And she literally trained and transformed my head, you know, the shape of my head, my neurological system, uh, my brain. And it turned out I had a severe heart condition. I was having tachycardia, uh, arrhythmias, and all the other symptoms you have when you have a heart condition. And we went to Hawaii like we often did once a year, and she did this special ceremony. And after that ceremony, I've never had any heart conditions or any symptoms of a, of a heart condition. So I've been real fortunate in my quest to heal and get well to have found some amazing people and amazing techniques that uh, have been able to heal incurable conditions, or, or conditions that many would be believe that were incurable, uh, I've either completely cured or essentially cured. And, and out of that, I've been able to weave a lot of that in the work I do with men. That's amazing. Can you maybe uh, briefly introduce Rolfing for the listeners that might not be familiar with it? Sure. Uh, Rolfing was named after its founder, Dr. Rolf, and she was a biochemist that developed it because she first had a son that no one could help, and then she helped him, and then her friends, and one thing led to another, and she started teaching people. And back in the late 60s, she started the Rolf Institute, and by the time I got into it, in the mid-70s, she had just died. Uh, so we don't train too many Rolfers, maybe 100 a year, but it's a, a physical manipulation of the soft tissue, or particularly the fascia, or that connective tissue that holds everything together. And unlike other soft tissue manipulations, our goal is to really organize or align the body with gravity. And that's one of the things that really has Rolfing stand out and also makes it so permanent. And, and in course of doing that, as with me, it gets rid of a lot of the chronic stress we have in our bodies. And in doing that, it teaches our bodies not to put the stress back in. And so when I had the clinic in uh, Scottsdale, I used to work with a lot of elite athletes, uh, professional athletes, Olympic athletes, and not only fix their you know, incurable conditions, but really help their performance. Because when our bodies are loose, when they're aligned, uh, not only do we feel better and look better, but we always perform better. So you started having some success at, through these kinds of techniques, addressing some of the physical and neurological stuff that you were experiencing. How did you come to be drawn to men's work uh, specifically as a, a source of healing for you? Um, I was actually just talking uh, an hour ago to a friend of mine that turned me on to an old friend and client of mine in D.C. That, um, before I retired, he owned a business there. And I remember calling up Jim and said, you know, Jim, I, I need help. And I know that 
you've done some work uh, with men's groups. Can you turn me on to an organization that, that you've been involved with? And he did, and it was the Mankind Project. And I did their training, which is a new warrior training, which uh, I think is an, an amazing training. It, it didn't do a lot for me uh, in part because I'd done other trainings, but I really did it so I could be a part of one of their groups. And the first group I joined was, yeah, it really didn't do a lot, uh, but I really liked a lot of the guys in the organization. And when I moved to Northern California, I helped form the first one in Sonoma and Napa County. And that was an amazing group. And that really showed me that a good men's group can really make a big difference in the men's life. And, and after that, I was hooked. Yeah, you were talking before some about the the documentary about men's work and and men's groups in particular. Um, what is some of the impact that groups like that can have on men's lives? Well, that's a good question. I mean, most men, and this is general. I mean, for everything, we tend not to do something until we have to. <laughs> Women are a little better at it, but as guys, um, and I have my theories on why, but we we tend to wait until we're into some kind of crisis. And for men, it's often a crisis of a relationship. So what that means is, is their wife or girlfriend has the proverbial gun to their head and says, either you change or I'm out of here. Uh, and sometimes, literally, they're signing men up or sending men to our trainings or men's groups. Or the guy is just getting real anxious because he knows that everything that he's been doing and trying to do to change himself and change his relationship is not working. And men, and I've been one of them, that will often take their advice from women because one, you know, we're close to them, and two, we're in this relationship with them, and three, you know, they seem to know more about emotions than we do. But what I have realized later after getting involved with men's work and doing these groups is that women know a lot about emotions, and they really mean well, but the problem is they know about emotions from a feminine perspective. And as a culture, we've defaulted to that feminine perspective. And that comes from 10,000 years ago when we all left the tribe for the farm. And when we left the farm, men stopped being around the family as much. And then particularly what, a couple hundred years ago when men left the farm and maybe you know, the shop or the, you know, the, the little business they had for the factory, men stopped being around a lot more. And so what happened is women showed up and they started showing up more in the family and they started showing up more emotionally and as their emotional mentors for both the girls and the boys. So over the years, the the emotional default is skewed towards the feminine. And we don't know that. And so as men, we're often trying to be more emotional in a way that's really not natural for us as men. And so what the groups do is they collectively train all of us how to be emotional in a masculine way. And overtly, that's really not a lot different than women. But and how we do it and how we learn it can be different. And as men, you know, that often come in in a crisis, start to express their emotions and feel things that they haven't felt and, and not just feel safe in these groups, but actually be honored for taking those risks. Uh, they really see change in their lives and change that you know, the women in their life just absolutely love. And they don't often understand what's happening to these men, but they they become very appreciative of these groups. What are some ways that 
involvement in groups like this have been impactful to you in your own personal journey? Um, well, you might know one of the aspects of having Asperger's is, is this sort of emotional and particularly social um, dysfunction. Or, and it's really being behind the curve in that way. And I've always felt that having Asperger's was not a condition of not being emotional. It was a condition of being overly emotional and not having the tools to express or maybe even initially feel those emotions. And now there's new research that's come out that supports that theory of mine. And so one of the huge things that these groups has given me is a safe place to, to learn how to be emotional. I mean, before that, even as a kid, without knowing what I had, I would study how to be emotional. I would study what people did in one way just to be safe and, and, and sort of discern what was safe and how to avoid situations, but also how to behave. But once I got into the group, it was much more than that. I mean, I had an opportunity to screw up, to express, to feel, uh, and to be myself in my own unique way. And in the course, particularly of this current iteration of my groups, the last nine years with the Sandpoint Men's Group, uh, I've seen huge changes that really have allowed me to change my relationship with women. Uh, and it's not like I had bad relationships with women, but now in my relationship with Corey, who is really the love of my life, I'm showing up in ways that um, I'm not even working at. I mean, I, it just happens and I'm, I'm watching myself do that in, in this mindfulness way and go, wow, that wasn't any effort. I just did it. And actually that was fun. And she's responding in, in a very positive way. And, and I can trace a lot of that back to these men. And it's not like as men in the group that we deliberately instruct any guy. Uh, we just organically create these opportunities for men to experience and experiment in ways they normally wouldn't get. So why are you so passionate about this work um, in a way that you've basically devoted your personal and professional life to training and facilitating this kind of work with men? Essentially because I'm selfish. Uh, I just love doing it. And I've always loved helping people, but helping people in a different way and helping people in a really deep, sustainable way. And, and that's really what got me into Rolfing over 35 years ago was that I, mean, I saw this tremendous change with myself and then all my clients I'd work with. And I've seen something comparable, if not in some ways greater, with this men's work. Um, and doing these groups and doing these trainings and working with a guy in, in a moment where it's very intense, very compassionate, very focused, that demands everything of me, you know, every ounce of my presence uh, to go someplace with that guy to help that man go to someplace he's never been himself uh, is hugely rewarding. And particularly when I see what happens in the process, right after the process, and then over the months and years of you know, being in the group and, and, and taking this approach uh, into their life. But in that moment of working with man with a man, it really stretches myself because I have to use all my skills and my emotional presence, which is something I used to run from, and really bring it into that moment so that man not only feels safe, but 
is drawn out in a way that he's never been drawn out. And and every time he does that or a man does that, uh, I'm doing that with myself. Well, as we've been talking, the point of this A Congruent Life Project is really about exploring themes of authenticity and telling stories about authentic or congruent living. Well, what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a really good question that I probably could go on to go into for a few hours, but basically it means, you know, being congruent with all my aspects, um, you know, the spiritual side of me, the emotional side, the physical, uh, the mental and, and my sexual side. Um, and we've been talking about how, you know, emotionally, like with so many men, I was at least disconnected. And because I was disconnected, I was, there wasn't congruency. Um, I became a lot more congruent when I got Rolf, because I was very disconnected uh, with my body. Um, my body was just something I drove along or it did things for me, but other than um, sex and food, I really got no pleasure from it. And until I started working with my um, friend Nalita, that medical kahuna, I was actually scared of my spiritual life and through her and the ceremonies and developing my own relationship with the creator. Uh, I ran from that and it wasn't that I didn't have any congruency. I didn't have that in, in my life. And now it's a part of my life every day. And mentally, you know, I think, yeah, in this society, you know, we, we have some awareness of our mental process, but for me, it's really becoming in some ways more dyslexic or, using my dyslexic and Asperger's attributes um, in ways that really serve me and other people. Rather than try and do it in a traditional way, I've just learned to uh, let myself be non-traditional. And by doing that, I really become more congruent mentally. And in terms of uh, the, what I would say is the center of the medicine wheel, or others would say, um, in that sexual or mana or life force part, um, for me, it's not doing anything where I'm losing energy. I mean, yeah, in the short term, but if I'm in a relationship or a situation where I, I'm losing energy or I'm putting more energy in than I'm getting out or will get out, um, I won't do it because um, it's literally sapping my life force. And sexually, um, you know, I, I won't have sex unless there is congruency. Unlike when I was a young man. I'm glad that you touched on that that bit about fear as well. I mean, it seems like in this culture in particular, men are encouraged to be courageous in external ways and in terms of accomplishment and so forth, but not so much in the emotional or spiritual realms. What advice might you have for men who are, are facing that or that are maybe kind of butting up against this? Well, gee, that sounds great. It is scary. How do you, how do you jump into that fear? Well... It should be scary, and if it's not scary, you're probably not going in the right direction. And what I do, or always attempt to do, and really it's the core of what I teach in these groups and these trainings, is that you you do it with the fear. So it's not what we've been trained in all the ways that we're trained as men to overcome that fear, that grin and bear it, and push beyond it, and all those euphemisms that we use. But really 
to embrace the fear, fear and really feel it in my body. And so I've had several situations in my life, more than I wanted, where I had to confront friends, teachers, um, colleagues, employees, employers, girlfriends, uh, where I'm literally shaking. I'm shaking. I'm feeling the fear on a physical level, uh, on an emotional level, certainly mental, I'm sure spiritual and, and, and life force level. And in spite of it, I'm doing the best job I can, stuttering, screwing up, speaking my truth or speaking truth to power and just going, you know, the bottom line is I might make a fool of myself. I might not get what I want. I might be ostracized. All those worst things might happen. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to have any regret in the sense of not taking advantage or full advantage of this opportunity. Because what I realized was that when I'm shaking or anyone's shaking like that, so much of what we're feeling is disproportional to the situation. And, and I'm not saying that as some head trip, but really as a way to help allow us to experience what we're feeling. In other words, when I'm shaking like that, I realize that when I'm confronting, say, one of my teachers, as I have in the past, that I'm really having a PTSD moment. In other words, I am releasing a lot of that old autonomic, sympathetic fight or flight that was literally frozen in my body and psyche, and I'm releasing it in that freeze, that, that shaking, that coldness that has run through my body in those situations is being sh shaken loose, uh, and I'm starting to feel my body relax in a way that it's never relaxed before. So somehow all of this work that you've been doing is now converged in this book that you recently released. Talk a little bit about maybe how the book came to be and, and what your goal for the book is. Well, the book came about about four years ago. I was uh, dating a different woman and Leslie said, why don't you write a book of, about what I just said? And what I just said was, I can't remember who I was commenting on, but I said, he just needs to grow the fuck up. Uh, and she said, you should write a book about that. And that was the first time that I ever felt inspired to write a book in spite of other people suggesting it before. And I started writing a book about really what it is to grow up to be a man. And what I knew, but what I've really come to know more is that, you know, as men, we're not taught how to be men and we're not taught how to be men in two ways. One, because we didn't have the models or teachers there to teach us. And the other part is if they were there in some way, often because of trauma or stress, we couldn't learn it because you can't really learn when you're under stress. And so for those two reasons, I think virtually all men, at least in this society, have these gaps in our maturation, these places in growing up that we weren't given the tools that we needed to be given at that time of growing up. And so we've survived. We're all alive. And, you know, most of us are doing pretty well. But in spite of that, there's these like holes in our, in our maturation. And these holes end up being the holes that we keep tripping into. They're like our saboteurs. And they particularly show up in relationships and certainly in relationships with our partners where it's more consistent and, and more intimate. And we can't 
cover those holes up. And if we do, the covers don't really last, and we get we again fall into them. And I, uh, you know, fell into my holes, and I had to get myself out of those holes. And in the course of doing that, teach myself or find people to teach me the things I didn't get to learn. And in my work with men, I think essentially that's what we're doing is we're learning the things that we didn't get to learn. So my tenet is, you know, as men, we're not bad, we're not broken, and we're not doomed. We just did not get to learn what we needed to learn. And in that, you know, it's not a psychological problem or a pathology in being a man. You know, we were just not given the tools that we needed to. And they're, they're available, particularly when you get together with a group of committed men on a regular basis, some magic happens in that group, and that group collectively has the wisdom you know, in our genome to teach each other what we didn't get to learn. So what's going on in your world now, Owen? What, um, what projects are you excited about? Well, I'm excited about getting this book out, uh, which literally you know, I'm launching today. Uh, I'm excited about um, these uh, what we call two-day men's groups, these seminars we do all over the country for men, uh, when it's only 10 men, what we do it for, where we just take them through a, an intense experience of being in a men's group that really initiates them into that kind of work and often into being the man that they want to be and is a catalyst for them to start their own group in their own area. Um, and I'm really excited about some of these ancillary projects that we're starting, which is a mentoring program for men and a, a training program for men to start and lead these groups. Because I started a, a nonprofit called MenCore, which gives away all the protocols you need to do your own men's group. And really, technically, that's all you need. But what we found, and, and I really saw it too, was that for most guys, unless you've had experience in doing this kind of stuff, you usually need some support in getting started. Uh, you know, how to get men into a group and how to you know, have some successful meetings to get that cohesiveness going. So we're putting together a program that will really help men create successful and sustainable groups. And and that's really my probably biggest passion is to... Um, you know, empower men to have their own groups or where I'm calling these micro communities you know, really around the world. You know, my goal is in 10 years to, you know, to have a million micro communities for men and really for women too. You know, women can have these, these groups. Um, and they're really the old tribe that we had when we were in tribes, but there's something that happens in these small micro communities that doesn't happen in any virtual community or any, smaller social community and I think we really need that and we hunger for it and what I saw in myself and a lot of these men is we often don't know how much we've been missing it until we get it how can our listeners engage with you Owen um, they can go to my blog which is owenmarcus.com which is a blog I've had for several years and it's a primarily focused on on men but we talk about relationships and we we go into all that from a different perspective. And then uh, freetowin.co or .co is the uh, business site where we uh, have information about these uh, two-day events and these other products that we're about ready to launch. 
and mencore.org is the nonprofit where anyone can download, including women, the protocol to start your own free group. Fantastic. We'll be sure to link to all that in the show notes. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity specifically? My, my final thought would be that um, yeah, I, I certainly think it's real important, but if you really want to up your game for authenticity, find one of these groups or create a group or you know, have one of these micro communities because like it or not, we'll assume it's a men's group. These guys, not only will they be watching your back, but they will make sure that you are authentic and your life is congruent. Uh, and there are moments, even with myself, when I might not want that. But at the end of the day, these men will make darn sure that you are keeping your commitments really to yourself. And we all are pretty smart and we can slip and slide around some of the key commitments and congruencies that we really want and we say we want, but our old survival patterns will come up and often divert us or take us out. But when you have a small group of, in this case, men that know your tricks and know what takes you out, they will almost always in a loving way, and if not in a, in a strong way, stand up for what you want. And so my uh, invitation is that you, know, you go out and find one of these groups or start one and really up your game about being authentic. Owen Marcus is the author of Grow Up, A Man's Guide to Emotional Intelligence. Owen, thanks so much for spending this time with us. You're welcome, Andy. It's been a lot of fun. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Owen Marcus. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 36 or acongruentlife.net slash Marcus. That's M-A-R-C-U-S. They're all linked to Owen's book, Grow Up, as well as his blog and resources for men's groups. Thanks again to those of you who have been leaving reviews for the show. I really appreciate that. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, I'd really appreciate it if you take a quick moment to leave a review for A Congruent Life, which you can do at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much for doing that. Big thanks also to Audible.com for supporting A Congruent Life. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download, which you can access at aclbook.com. Once again, thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. I really do appreciate your support. We have a bunch more great interviews that I'm excited to share with you over the coming episodes. And so we'll see you next week for the next one. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at a congruent life.net. See you next time.